historians will mark the end of one era and mark the beginning of another. T-E-T-Z. The end times continue. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the End Times. Continue recording on this, the 10th of December. I am Dino, and uh, Ace is out again today. He had something urgent come up, um, and it was urgent. Uh, so we are filling in again. We have Lady Jane. How are you doing today, Lady Jane? I'm good. I'm good. All right. That's very noncommittal and excellent. I'm, cool. I'm fucking... I'm fucking... <laughs> I'm fucking tired, and my <laughs> voice is about to give out, and I've been working nonstop, and I just want it to be fucking Christmas already. I understand. I understand. Or otherwise, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, it'll be probably a relatively short episode today. Uh, here, that doubled me, so I'm gonna close this door. Um, yeah, uh, it'll probably be a relatively short episode today. Um. It's been, like, a weirdly quiet week, actually, given everything that's been going on. Um, oh, has it been? Has it been a weirdly quiet week for some people? Wow. There's a little bit of a... Are you, like... I'm just saying... Uncomfortable with that observation? I mean, yeah, like, I guess, news-wise, um, sure. But, <laughs> I'm sorry, my life is the most important. Do you not understand this? <laughs> <laughs> um... Okay, well, uh, we have, um, let me look. Oh, you made people angry. Yeah, I made people really upset. I, I was fucking looking for a little fun diversion, and I tweeted about apple pie. I'm not a fan of it. My mom got it for Hanukkah, for the Hanukkah dinner we were having. Completely inappropriate choice of food. One, donut holiday. Two, apple pie is garbage. Um, I tweeted this for fun. I went to lunch, didn't look at my phone, came back. I had 19 fucking notifications because you people have some very strong feelings about pie. <laughs> That's a lot of notifications for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like a, I'm not like a, uh, what do you, he, heavy roller, big roller. Oh, fucking what? What? When someone has influential power? <laughs> Wow. Wow. I'm, please. I'm not, okay. I'm not like a, I don't have that many followers. Okay. 19 notifications for me is the equivalent of going viral. I so, understand. Um, I'm not going to apologize for my, for my uh, take on the apple pie. I will say pie is delicious. Apple pie is not delicious. Fruit pie is garbage. Unless it's a French fruit pie. Tarte pomme, that's really good. That's not an American apple that's pie. That's not a pie, that's a tart. They're different. No, tart means pie in French. Do you no, know, it's, they are a literal different. translation. You don't know anything about Fritz, so you can shut up. Um, <laughs> chess pie, delicious. Key lime pie, also yummy. Pecan pie, derby pie, that's a chocolate pecan pie. Um, uh, uh, chocolate banana pie, yummy. You know, there's a lot of good things from pie. Apple pie is not one of them. I Cream will pie. Say, though, I, uh, I did eat that apple pie last night, though. I said, I don't like this. You you saw this. I said, I don't I don't like this. And I'm just going to keep eating it. 
because there was ice cream with it. And then I said, eh, you know what? It's not so bad. Uh, I, I, I actually tend to agree. I think, I think a fruit pie is actually better as a cobbler. It should be a cobbler. Yes, because the crust, to me, actually, is, is the weakest part of any pie. I understand that. And, uh, you know, but a, a, like, a, like a chess pie, good. That, that's, that's fine. I'll, I'll take the crust on that. Well, a, a deconstructed pie is the best kind of pie. Well, you upset some people, and that's that's what's most important, I guess. Well, I, I won't apologize. I was told that <laughs> if you say something controversial, do not back down. Uh, you know, you shouldn't. That's good advice. So, I'm, I'm not, but uh, the Kroger Honey Crisp Apple Pie, not terrible. Not great, not terrible. Mix it with some ice cream, pretty good. Oh, I also like pumpkin pie, sorry. I also have to, I'm sure everyone's just fucking enthralled by my pie preference yeah we're just we're just listing pies now that's the whole episode uh, pumpkin chest pie i make that that's a good pie that actually is you a know, really uh, good pie that is a really I, good pie that you make uh, it's incredible rube, rhubarb pie also Ew. good in the french version no uh, get out of here um that's a vegetable blackberry pie that could be okay huckleberry pie and an ice cream fine okay that's enough of that um <laughs> <laughs> Um, chocolate chest pie. Too much, in my opinion. Too much. That's, that's plenty. That's plenty of that. Butter, buttermilk pie. <laughs> not good. It's just chest pie without the the cornmeal in it. Oh my god. Okay, there is actually news though, and it's not about oh, pie. Oh goodness, there's new news out. Well, that's what news means. That's the meaning of the word. No, no, you can have old news. You can have olds. Anyway, we have, uh, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm a great co-host. Don't ever forget it. Um, okay, so, uh, Senator Ron Wyden, you know who this is? Yeah, I see him, um, posting a lot of stuff a lot of the time. He's from Oregon. Uh-huh. That, that one fell flat. Keep going. Wow. Just, wow. Fuck you. Um... <laughs> Okay. He's from he's from Oregon. He is the uh, the senator from Oregon. He sent a letter to the DOJ, and uh, the letter uh, is dated December sixth. Okay, and this is what it reads: Dear Attorney General Garland, why would you start with dear? Anyway. Dear Attorney General Garland, I write to urge the Department of Justice to permit Apple and Google to inform their customers and the general public about demands for smartphone app notification records. Seems interesting. Yeah, I wasn't previously concerned, but hearing just the, the intro of this, I'm, I'm getting a little anxious. Are you? My, my I mean, what, what, why did they have that information? Yes. This uh, news to me. In spring of 2022, my office received a tip that government agencies in foreign countries were demanding smartphone, quote, push notification records from Google and Apple. My staff have been investigating this tip for the past year, which included contacting Apple and Google. In response to that query, why would you flip the order of those things in the second sentence they're mentioned in the same list? I don't understand. In response to that query, the companies told my staff that information about this practice is restricted from public release by the government. Oh. oh, okay. That's that's great. Yeah. Uh, he is the government, though. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, 
Push notifications are the instant alerts delivered to smartphone users by apps, such as a notification about a new text message or a news update. They aren't sent directly from the app provider to user smartphones. Instead, they pass through a kind of digital post office run by the phone's notification. Uh, I'm sorry, the phone's operating system provider. For iPhones, this service is provided by Apple's push notification service. For Android phones, it's Google's Firebase cloud messaging. These services ensure timely and sufficient delivery of notifications, but this also means that Apple and Google serve as intermediaries in the transmission process. Now, something that's not known about Android by a lot of people, but it used to be that your hook for push notifications was just part of the operating system, and it still is on versions of Android that don't have uh, Google Play services installed. The, the hook for the push notification is some, that's just the, the app hooks into it directly and then formats its own push notifications and pushes them and the operating system handles it. It used to be how it worked. Nowadays, it's cloud-based and it passes through Google servers first, Google's messaging services, and then it goes to the phone, to the notification shade. But what that means is that Google and Apple are aware of the content of the push notification. I did not know that. Now, I sh- shouldn't surprise me, but I didn't. I never thought about it, to be honest. Because it didn't used to matter. Because all this stuff used to be handled by hooks in the operating system itself. But now that the cloud... Now it's all done by cloud it, services. Yeah. Um, okay. As with all other information these companies store for or about their users... Because Apple and Google deliver push notification data, they can be secretly compelled by governments to hand over this information. Importantly, app developers don't have many options. If they want their apps to reliably deliver push notifications on these platforms, they must use the service provided by Apple or Google, respectively. Consequently, Apple and Google are in a unique position to facilitate government surveillance of how users are using particular apps. The data these two companies receive includes metadata detailing which app received the notification and when, as well as the phone and associated Apple or Google account to which that notification was intended to be delivered. In certain instances, they might also receive unencrypted content, which could range from back-end directives for the app to the actual text displayed to a user in an app notification. Moving on to page two, Apple and Google should be permitted to be transparent about the legal demands they receive, particularly from foreign governments, just as the companies regularly notify users about other types of government demands for data. These companies should be permitted to generally reveal whether they have been compelled to facilitate this surveillance practice to publish aggregate statistics about the number of demands they receive, and unless temporarily gagged by a court, to notify specific customers about demands for their data. I would ask the DOJ repeal or modify any policies that impede this transparency. Okay. What this is saying is that there is some policy that the DOJ has put in place that makes it so that Google and Apple cannot let, cannot publicly say anything about information requests that they get for a particular user's push notification data. That's what this means. And nobody had any idea until now. I, 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 I knew well, I mean, that... The I DOJ knew, knew like, it, people involved knew, but the, the uh, breadth of what they were collecting and the, how, how little recourse they had around not providing it, not that they don't 
bend over backwards at well, times. Is, to, this to has never this 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 particular capability has never been publicly acknowledged, as far mm-hmm. as I know. Now, if you know anything about the way that this stuff works, and you knew that push notifications went through Google servers, which you probably do know if you if you know anything about you know how this stuff works, um, then you would assume that this kind of thing is going on. Yeah, that this is it's just as accessible as anything else. I mean, why wouldn't it be? Exactly. It's it's going through the same system as other shit that they can ask for and get pretty easily. What I wasn't aware of is that apparently they're not allowed to talk about it. Yeah. That's what's weird to me. And so I'm sitting here looking over this thing and I'm thinking I'm thinking to myself self, why in the hell wouldn't it be public? Well, here's the other issue. Think about this. The United States has agreements with other nations that they share intelligence, okay? Especially, and this was developed after the, the global war on terror began, the Five Eyes like, Nations. Yeah, I was about to say that, the Five Eyes. Yes. Which means that, theoretically, you could have a third-party nation request information from Google or Apple and then just share it with, them, with the U.S. government. Because the U.S. government, the, the FBI in particular, but the government generally, is not supposed to use surveillance and, and the intelligence sort of apparatus against Americans. But they can end run around that very easily. Yeah, there's nothing against uh, the U.K. doing it and then just handing it over. Exactly. And this all is facilitated because all that data passes through Google and Apple servers and they have all of it. Of course they have all of it. So they look at it, and then by, because of that system, you have the third-party doctrine. So all of these requests, all of this stuff can be done without the need for a warrant. Have, does everyone listening know what the uh, third-party doctrine is? Um, wanna... I covered it pretty heavily on that episode of Dino Files where I talked about cats. I can't remember which episode it was, but um, the third-party doctrine, yeah, I should do a quick rundown of it. Okay. The third party doctrine is a doctrine in Fourth Amendment jurisprudence, which says that um, you are allowed to search a person's effects. Uh, you're allowed to search a person's data. You're allowed to do all that if that data is being held by or accessed to or accessed by a third party. So the idea is, for example, your email. You use Google for your email. Use Gmail, right? All the government has to do. Actually, don't know if email is a good example. Email might actually be a carve out to that. Uh, no, email is not a good example. A good example would be regular telephone records, right? GPS you call data. Call somebody. GPS, GPS data. data. Yeah. Well, no, actually, that to a degree, there have been some carve outs about the amount of data that you can get. And I think the case is called Carpenter. I can't recall every single part of it. Yes, Carpenter does, but, but has... it's also uh it's also a known thing that's allowed. Like if they have to they they do not need a warrant to get the GPS data. Within a certain range. I think yes. the telephone records were the first telephone and banking records were the first two um big topics that they broached when yes. this analysis around Reasonable expectation of privacy came out of cats back in the 60s, 70s. Yeah. Um, the fact that you use AT&T, you call somebody, you know that they have the record for it. Well, the mere fact that you use this telephone company to call somebody and you knew that they would have access means you have basically waived that expectation of privacy because you made the information available to another 
party. Now, and they still hold that line with regard to metadata. They still hold that line with regard to metadata of phone calls, of of emails, of all these kinds of communications that go through a third party. The metadata may as well be public knowledge. With the they don't they don't need a warrant to get that. And the the argument of well, you used a telephone provider, so you know you you know that they have access to your information so that's as good as giving access to everyone besides the fact that that's ridiculous because i mean how else let's go back to landlines right this was a landline situation this was before cell phones when this jurisprudence came about how the fuck else are you going to call somebody because also in in cats in the case that started all of this and this line of jurisprudence around the fourth amendment in the 20th century and with technology cats is about um, basically a wiretap on pay phones. So yep. it's it's ridiculous to assume that you have willingly waived this right to privacy by using a telephone company because what the fuck are you supposed to do otherwise? Well, that's now become further scrutinized and actually expressed to a degree by some justices, including I think it was um, Chief Justice Roberts and Carpenter, who talked about, hey, well, you have to have a cell phone these days to be a part of society. It's just not plausible anymore. It's not really a choice. If you want to be involved in the world the way most people are and connected in the United States, you're going to have a cell phone. It's going to have data services. Why that wasn't expressed earlier when it was fucking landlines, I don't know. But even those little bits of dicta, right, have not changed much at all. No. We're, we still basically have a gun to our heads to use email, to use cell phones, to do all of these things. And sure, maybe they um, have made it a little harder to get some of the GPS data, but they still can get a large amount of it for a specific time without having to go through any real hoops. And to be honest, a warrant doesn't protect you because the language in cell phone warrants to do a data dump can be very, very broad. And it's only just now that, you know, I'm not an expert in other states. But the state of Texas has just now changed some of the information because before, and I assume it's like this in most states, the fact that you were accused of a crime and you own a cell phone was seen as enough to take your whole phone, do a data dump, and then the states got everything you've ever done on that phone on a fucking USB. Yes. Well, uh, uh, I was looking at, I, I went ahead and pulled up Carpenter. This was a 2018 case that did limit the ability of the government to take uh, cell site location information. Um, they needed a, uh, let me look. What is it? Seven days. They can only get seven days per request. The seven days of information. Or well, it has to days. be specific to the crime. So the third party doctrine could not be extended to historical cell site location information. Instead, the court, uh, compared detailed encyclopedic and effortlessly compiled CSLI records to GPS information at issue in USV Jones. Recognizing that both forms of data accord the government the ability to track individuals' past movements. The court noted that CSLI could pose even greater privacy risk than GPS data, yada, yada, yada. The court ruled that under the Fourth Amendment, the government must obtain a search warrant in order to access historical CSLI records. So so what they're doing is they're leaving open... Yes, they're leaving open the ability for for tracking surveillance, surveillance, yes. Active surveillance, but not surveillance of historical data. So that's the location information thing that changed in 2018. And that, to my knowledge, that is the most recent uh, opinion on uh, recent big opinion. There's always opinions coming out of circuits and there's always something 
coming out of somewhere. There's Fourth Amendment case in the Supreme Court, but to my knowledge, that has been that's the most recent um, significant change yes. in the way that they approach electronic data. Well, making a carve out like that for the third party doctrine is kind of a big deal. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, and I, I honestly, I don't understand why that carve-out wasn't applied to when people had to use landlines. Because, I, I mean, what else are you supposed to do? Get, like, a can and Well, it was, it was applied to, to uh, it was applied to the content. If you remember the case that, that followed, I believe it was a case that followed Cats, where they were, uh, they had a wiretap on the outside of the phone booth. What it I was, they was had a, the, was the wiretap. Was that the one they had the microphone on the outside of the phone booth? Yep, pin register is what they called it. No, 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 pin register is something else. Pin register is at the actual HQ of the of the phone company, and what you do is you put that between the phone line and the switchboard, and it tells you where it's switching the phone line to. Cats was a uh, covert listening device outside of the phone booth. That's what it was, a microphone on the glass on the phone booth, yeah. Okay. And then there was a pin register case. Yes, there was a pin register case later on. But that case, I believe the pin register case is the one I can't remember. It's been so long since I read these. The pin register case, I believe, was the one where they basically said, this is tantamount to metadata that you could just ask for. And it's okay. Well, they didn't, they didn't use those words, metadata didn't exist at the time. What they were saying was, this is information that you could just ask for in a letter from the phone company, so it's fine. Because it's not the content Smith, of the phone call. Smith v. Maryland. Yes. Yes. Anyway, the uh, so what they have is this this idea of this third party doctrine, right? You can get this. And by the way, by the way, the warrant requirement already has an end run around it. Requiring a warrant for this stuff is not um, is not going to stop anything because the FISA courts exist. Yeah, there's and and warrants. I mean, obviously, sure. Better to have a warrant than not. Right. A little bit more due process. A, a warrant will not protect most people. But it, well, then it's not only that. It's not that's not so much the concern. The concern is that you have the the FISA court system exists such that if you receive a data request from a FISA court, if you receive a FISA warrant, you are not allowed to talk about it. Yeah, it's not those FISA courts happen entirely in in the dark. There is no oversight. There's no transparency. There's no ability to know what happens in them and what's requested as a result. There's no appeal. You don't even know. You don't even know how they got your data until it's until it's too late. You can't appeal from it. It's it's there's no there's no uh, there's no system for holding FISA courts accountable. No, it's an it's an end round around due process. It doesn't exist. They can say all they want that it's due process, but you have no notice. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's not. Even procedurally, it's it's a weak argument that there's due process, and then substantively, I mean, it you know it, how sure you have a court, you have a judge. Well, That's there's not no enough. There, it's there's no there's no justification that it satisfies the Fourth Amendment because there's no warrant. They say there's a warrant. The FISA court says there's a warrant. There's a warrant floating around somewhere. Everybody promises, but it's not public. It's not information anyone's allowed to see. And the company that got asked for the information isn't allowed to talk about it. You know what I mean? So, so the, the whole thing is set up where it's just like, yeah, we promise there's a warrant for this. Yeah, don't worry. We have it. It's sealed. You can't see it. No one can challenge it. But I, I, get, I guarantee. I yeah. promise. Just trust us. 
There's a in, warrant in for the that. Se- in the secret court where no one is, and there's no record that you can get. Even more secret than a grand jury. I swear to God, we got you a warrant, dude. Yeah, exactly. So, all of that being the case, this is a... Uh, the, I don't know what the system is that's in place that's making it so Google and Apple cannot talk about these requests. Well, it sounds like even uh, people in the legislature only have a rough idea. Oh, the legislature doesn't get to know shit. You, you yeah. know when they had the 28 pages of the, uh, of the 9-11 Commission report, the people in the legislature were allowed to go read them, but they had to go into a secure Faraday room to read them, and they had to leave all their phones and shit outside. They weren't allowed to take any electronics in with them, and they could go inside and read the 28 pages, and they weren't allowed to talk about them. Did you know I was that? Gonna make a, yeah, I was going to make a really terrible inside baseball joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I, I was aware of that. I, I wasn't aware of the, of the, I wasn't aware of the Faraday cage. That's special. Yeah, there was, I can't remember. I think it might've been Rand Paul who was talking about what you have to go through to read the 28 pages. Of course it was Rand Paul talking about it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is it like the fucking book of secrets and national treasure? <laughs> Well, yeah, it, it is the book of it is yes because it's the it's the it's the book of secrets that says Saudi Arabia did nine eleven. It's so lame that they have a whole system around that in a Faraday cage because, like, we all know that anyways, you know. Well, I mean, I, I it, they were to... declassified a few years. I think they were declassified in like two thousand and twelve or something like that. Yeah, but um, like, did, was that really not something people knew? No, everyone knew it. Glenn Beck knew it. I remember watching Glenn Beck oh as a God. child in like 2006. Uh. And I was watching Glenn Beck and he was saying, you know what's in those 28 pages? It says the Saudis did it. That's what's in those 28 pages. Yeah. And, and, and it was like either he had a source or it was just obvious to him. I, I think it was just it just through deduction. Probably. Like, well, where were all of they all of the hijackers from? I not I I don't think all of them were from there, but a good amount. Well, no, but they were they were also well, some of them were Egyptian and stuff like that. But they, there was the thing about it was that the the bank rolling of nine eleven was done by um, people inside of uh, Saudi people who are powerful people inside of Saudi. That's what it was. And that was the and that was the thing that, that fucking Glenn Beck was saying. Fucking, I think it was two thousand six, two thousand eight, something like that. Somewhere in there, he was talking about it. And then they declassified them. I believe in two thousand twelve, maybe a little bit later than that. But in any case, the, all of that, all of that to say that the the requiring a warrant for this kind of data doesn't really do anything when you have stuff like FISA courts around. But what it does do is for people who are subject to normal sort of state level uh, investigations. It does give you something to challenge. It gives you something to check. Yeah, because the thing is, uh, a huge part, if there's a defendant who was searched, I mean, uh, with a warrant, which is rare, is you are entitled to get that warrant, look at the warrant, see if the warrant was sufficient, if the probable cause was true, if there were any lies. I mean, that that is a huge part in building a defense when there's a search. So the idea that someone would have things searched by the federal government to that extent and nobody even gets the warrant to challenge, like absolutely flies in the face of steps one, two, and three. Yes. When someone is defending a client that uh, had some sort of a search or seizure as a result of a warrant. 
Oh, by the so way, the best example, I'm sorry, I forgot. I was going to say this earlier. The best example for third-party doctrine, your bank info. The federal government has yes. unlimited access to your bank info. If they send a nicely worded letter to your bank, your, the bank can send over all of your transaction data from that bank. Yeah, there's no... Your your banking data is absolutely not safe. Neither is your Facebook data or Instagram data. Yes, that kind of stuff. The I, your your Twitter stuff. Your like your your Twitter drafts or your Facebook drafts. Do you remember that? Do you remember the story from a while back where Facebook actually was keeping unsent posts from people? People who had typed a post into the thing and then decided against posting it. Mm-hmm. They were keeping that. They had all of that. Yeah. Well, the the fun little fact with that is that um, prosecutors anywhere, like in any state, can very easily get a subpoena for Facebook records. And the county, I'm forgetting the name of the county, the county where Facebook and a bunch of other uh, tech companies are located, has prosecutors there that will act as stand-in counsel to approach Mm -hmm. the judge on that subpoena they do that they've just had that service they provide to everyone in the u.s that subpoena is pretty much always signed off on and then these prosecutors you know wherever else in the country get all the information do defense attorneys have the ability to subpoena facebook instagram and no because it's a violation of federal law if a defense attorney does it not just defense in you know something civil right where there could be a, a higher chance that it's a fishing expedition uh, no, no. Criminal defendants, there's very little way to get access to Facebook data because it's a violation of federal law if the accused does it. But they have a whole nice little thing, just nice little, oh, don't worry, we'll be standing counsel. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll go get that taken care of for you. There's a whole and system then, that's set up to allow people to get access to your data quickly. Yep. It, except I, for I was, the, except if they're on your side. Yeah, no, if it. And, you know, interestingly enough, it's a violation of federal law if the person who's trying to defend themselves, uh, you know, tries to get Facebook information. And by the way, but, yeah, the, the subpoena thing, they don't need a subpoena. So the only reason they would need a subpoena is if the company that has the information they want requires one. Because the, there's, a, there's a standard for a subpoena, but they don't have to have a subpoena. The, the, for example, uh, do you remember the Liberty Safe situation from a little bit yes. ago yeah, that was a yeah that was like a phone call that was like a nicely yeah, that, worded letter basically where they said yeah, hey can we get the code was... to this gun safe and liberty said yeah absolutely what liberty should have said was no come back with a subpoena yeah there's a lot in the law where if somebody just sends a nicely worded letter um they get a bunch of stuff yeah yeah, like a, absolutely. A, a frightening amount, unless it's an open records request, and then two to three years from the submission, um, yeah, you will receive one page with everything redacted out, and uh, nobody cares that it was nicely. And they'll ordered. break the law by not sending you everything. When I yeah, when I when I did a uh, Texas open records request for my arrest, I did not receive the arresting officer's body cam. I got everything else except the arresting officer's body cam. That was a violation this of law. Is, I had a case. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't pursue it. But it I would have won not, that. It might have not been turned on. It was because they sent it a year later. Oh, do you hear the little uh, noise like when it's out there in front of you? That little noise that it makes, like every does the minutes? does the. Can you hear that in person, or is that something that you only hear I on the recording? I think that's only on like, the recording. Uh, because I don't, I don't recall hearing it, but I can't remember. 
It was it was some it was so long ago, and I haven't had a body cam in my face in years, so I don't remember. But uh, the yeah, that is in the audio. I don't know. Maybe you do hear it. Anyway, that's that's very inside yes, baseball. So, Nobody who doesn't watch yeah, body so cam knows what you're talking about. Uh, people fucking watch it for fun, dude. People watch like live PD and shit like that. People oh, you're right. Sit down and the what? They're not even getting paid. I forgot people do that. I'm not going to sit down and watch that for fun because Fuck I, no. that, I I can get paid to do that. That's, yeah, that's people, part, people part pay me to sit there and watch body cam. I'm not going to do it for entertainment. Also, <laughs> I mean, honestly, every body cam is just like point out the constitutional violation and people sit there and watch it. Yeah. Anyway, that was the that was an interesting story. So your push notification to, again, people who knew how push notifications worked could figure this kind of thing was happening, but I didn't know... It just know, wasn't clear, yeah. I, I exactly didn't know there was, was a system on. in place that they couldn't talk about it. I didn't know there was some kind of rule where they can't talk about foreign governments asking them information. It, it doesn't surprise me that uh, Senator Wyden's the one that did it, because he's he's pretty heavily involved in um, the stuff with Section 230 and, and security yes. online. That does not surprise me that he was the one that did it that the only reason I really know about him is because I follow other people that are involved in those kind of advocacy groups and nonprofits. Yep. And he, he pops up a lot. I don't follow a lot of politicians, but he actually does some pretty interesting stuff. Can't speak for anything else he's ever done, but I know that he's pretty good actually for a politician at addressing this kind of stuff. Cause who, who else would have really known, you know? Yeah. Well, it seems like he was maybe they'd have it. It seems like he was looking into something and he ran up against this brick wall and he's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Why isn't this? Why can't I get information on this? Exactly. Um, okay. You want to hear Klaus Schwab say something fun? Is he related to to Charles Schwab? Have we figured that out? I, I, I don't know. It's possible. It was just a question. I mean, sure. I, I would I would love to hear Klaus Schwab say something. You have no idea. I've been sitting here waiting all day thinking like I haven't heard Klaus Schwab today. I well, hold on. Now I'm looking up whether or not he's related to Charles Schwab. Uh, you're uh, the suspense is killing me. I need to hear his voice. <laughs> OK, well, calm down. <laughs> I, I can't. I, I'm excited. OK, I did a search on his Wikipedia and it, nothing came up. So I'm I'm just going to say no. Um. Eugene Wilhelm Schwab. Schwab, or is it Olivier Schwab? I don't know, and I don't care. This man is the lizard. Um, the well, he has lizardy children too. We should fear them, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he was at the World Governments Summit in 2017. I found I found the source on this clip. This is a clip that's not that a was terrifying. Name. That's not a fucking terrifying name. For uh, right, right. The world, the the guy who founded and leads the World Economic Forum was speaking at the World Governments Summit. It's like the Galactic Senate. Exactly. That's so, what I imagine when I think of what these meetings look like. Well, this is a Palpatine ass motherfucker. No, what it is yeah. is it's a bunch of guys who are in um in uh their daytime uh uh attire in Dubai. Oh, like when Mohammed bin Salman wears Western clothing? No, 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 no. The other, the opposite. The daytime attire. Like when Mohammed bin Salman... No, he wears that in the date. You know how I feel about how... He looks way better. Oh, my God. In the traditional Saudi garb. Like, he looks, like, respectable. I'm, you know? 
And then he gets a suit on and he doesn't have, you can see his head and he's balding. <laughs> okay. it's, no, honest. No, it really will change the way that you view him because when he is, and I can't believe I don't know the name of what the clothing is, but when he is dressed in that traditional clothing that the other leaders wear, he looks very formidable and he's very identifiable as part of the Saudi royal family. When he's wearing a suit and you can see his balding head, <laughs> he, he looks, looks like, like a, a nebbish. Looks like a he looks, basement dweller at a libertarian convention. He he looks so nebbishy. He looks like such a nothing. Like when he's just walking around like any other guy in Western clothing. I mean, you would think him. He's he has all of this power. It really is like I, I it it changed my um the way that I saw him. He looks so like powerless and spineless and just like a balding guy with a beer oh, belly. He's a politician. So the uh the, No, it's worse. He's he's a monarch. <laughs> Klaus Schwab <laughs> says uh says the following at the World Government Summit. This is what he had to say. This was shared by the way by Spike Cohen and I went and I found the source. Um here we go. If you look what's happening in the United States Particularly, you have this anti-system movement. What we are seeing is a revolution against the system. So fixing the present system is not enough. Now there is, of course, a anti-system, which is called libertarianism, which means to tear down everything which creates some kind of influence of government into private lives. It's demantling the system, and we see certain elements of this now in the new U.S. administration. There you go. Well. Klaus Schwab literally got up there and he's like, the anti-system of liberty. It's like it's, okay, people who are familiar with DC Comics will get this. He treats it like the anti-life equation. The the fucking the equation that that the 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 forbidden knowledge that dark side uses to turn people into his thralls, the anti-life equation. That's what he treats it like. It's this anti-system that wants to tear everything down. I wish it was that cool. Yeah, it's really not. I mean, like, no offense. (laughs) Well, Klaus Schwab makes libertarianism sound way cooler than it is. I wish it was, I wish it was this. I wish it was this, this militant and this, this effective. But I am, I am, you know, the fact that the word is even in his mouth makes me feel good, though. Oh, it it makes you feel powerful? No, it makes me feel like there's actually, like, this is something that these people are actually concerned about. You know what I mean? I feel, I, I feel like there's a lot of, um, rhetoric about, libertarianism in that kind of sphere that is based around um the cokes yes 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 don't understand libertarianism or what it is for most people tie that in with uh the the conspiracy of of the coke brothers yes i agree and i i've heard on um like very leftist podcasts libertarianism equated exactly to them which is um, 
it yeah. incorrect. Yeah, but that's not quite right. It, it's interesting that that seems to be how it's viewed from this, like, aerial view. Well, everyone everyone thinks it's the paleoconservative uh, sort of... Um, the, 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 the paleoconservative mishmash that libertarianism became in the 1990s. That's, that's sort of... Or like 1980s into the 90s. That's what everyone assumes libertarianism is. Well, apparently it's very metal. Yeah, I mean that's what it sounds like. <laughs> yes, it's an anti-system. It, it wants to to tear down, like he says, with his Swiss accent. Yes, Jesus. He's Swiss. I just, I just, no, I, I. Do you think I know a Swiss German accent from a German German accent? I'm on his Wikipedia page. No, I don't think you know a Swiss German accent from a German German accent, but that's clearly not a German German accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you know his family moved to Germany during the Third Reich so yes. that his father could assume the role of director at, uh, I'm not gonna try to say that in German, German is a language I'm not good at, an industrial company and contractor for the Nazi regime. But his family was monitored by the Gestapo and his mother was interrogated because she spoke with a Swiss accent in public. Fascinating. Anyway, yeah, Klaus Schwab is a lizard. And, uh, and I honestly, though, I do, I am made happy by the fact that he's sitting there going like, in the United States, they have this terrible thing, libertarianism. Yeah, he's, he's sitting there thinking about it. It's a win that he's just sitting there fuming. Yes. Over, over it. Yes. Also, so that's 2017. Was he calling the Trump administration a libertarian? Yes, he was. Uh, okay, that, a great read on American politics. Yeah, exactly. Um, what a fucking scumbag this guy is. I hate him. Um, he's going to, uh, he's going to, uh, cause the fall of, uh, of industrial society. Anyway, um, oh, I, <laughs> oof, that, you, you can't just, uh, t- t- tell me that <laughs> cavalierly. Yes. That's what he's going to do. It's his plan. Um, anyway, uh, Dave DeCamp at antiwar.com. Wonderful, wonderful writer. Uh, Antiwar.com, by the way, doing their fundraiser. Go ahead and give them some money if you can. Um, Antiwar.com, Dave DeCamp, published uh, today. Netanyahu says he appreciates the U.S. veto of U.N. Gaza ceasefire resolution. I'm sure he does. Oh, I'm sure he's very happy about it. This was a resolution that went up to the Security Council, and the U.S. said, No! No! We want them to keep shooting! Um... Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Saturday said he appreciated the U.S. vetoing a U.N. Security Council resolution that called for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza and vowed to continue his war in the besieged enclave, which has killed at least 17,000 Palestinians. Quote, other countries must also understand that it's impossible to support the elimination of Hamas on one side and on the other to call for the end of the war, which will prevent the elimination of Hamas, Netanyahu said. Therefore, do what? Just such a profound man. Oh, such yeah. Such a profound speaker. Yeah. Yeah. Therefore, Israel will continue our just war to eliminate Hamas and achieve the war's other objectives that we set, like running the Palestinians out of the Gaza Strip explicitly. <laughs> uh, the U.S. is facing global backlash and criticism from fellow U.N. Security Council members for being the only one to vote against the ceasefire resolution as Israel. I'm sorry, are they... Are they fucking surprised? This is what happens every... Everyone goes like, a, oh my goodness, the U.S. vetoed 
something on the Security Council related to Israel. My goodness. The U.S. is being Israel's lapdog again? I'm shocked. It happens literally every single time anything happens with Israel. They fucking veto it, and everyone has shocked Pikachu face. Like, this shit (laughs) doesn't happen every single fucking time. The security... Why is it even a headline? (laughs) Like, I'm just, I see people up in arms about it. And it's like, have you not been paying attention? It's either the U.S. and something to do with Israel, and they veto it. Or Russia or China gets upset when someone tries to say something about, you know, I don't know, something bad happening in Syria, and then they veto it. And th- that's the whole fucking thing. And that's why it's insane that they still have their little meetings <laughs> in, the, in, in the room. It's literally just like a fucking conference room. I, 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 don't, I don't understand. The U.S. is facing global backlash and criticism from fellow U.N. Security Council members for being the only one to vote against the ceasefire resolution, as Israel's killing civilians at a historic pace. <laughs> the Security Council held the vote on Friday after U.N. Secretary General, An- General Antonio Gutierrez invoked Article 99 of the U.N. Charter, which allows him to force a discussion if he believes, quote, international peace and security is at risk. I'm so- Force a discussion? Yes. Oh, he's allowed to say, guys, we really got to talk about this. And they go, fantastic. Is it about, is it, I'm sorry, man, we're going to have to veto that. I force a discussion every time I'm sitting around the table at a holiday and say, everybody shut up. We need to talk about the World Bank and the, and the, the central bank digital currency and the collapse of the American dollar. We have to talk about that now. That's how you force a discussion. That that is yes. Thirteen members or, or of the you, you you get out a little piece of paper. You you know I am actually allowed to force a conversation, and so we're gonna have that conversation right now. <laughs> Thirteen I, members. I'm powerful. Let me read the conversation. <laughs> Thirteen members of the UN Security Council voted in favor of the resolution, while the UK abstained from voting. And the US is you uh, and the US used its veto power that's granted to permanent members. Robert Wood, the deputy U.S. ambassador to the U.N., criticized the resolution because it didn't condemn Hamas and reiterated the U.S.'s opposition to a ceasefire. Quote, Hamas has no desire to see a durable peace to see a two-state solution, Wood said. For that reason, while the United States strongly supports a durable peace in which both Israelis and Palestinians can live in peace and security, we do not support calls for an immediate ceasefire. Palestinian authority, uh, I'm sorry, Palestinian Authority President <laughs> Mahmoud Abbas sharply criticized Mahmoud. the U.S. Yeah, whatever. Uh, sharply criticized the U.S. after the vote, saying the U.S. was complicit in, quote, war crimes committed by the Israeli occupation forces against the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and Jerusalem. Besides giving Israel cover at the U.N. Security Council, it, all, it is also providing Israel with a huge amount of military equipment, including massive bombs to fuel the onslaught. So, um, here's the thing. Abbas is right. Israel is currently... Um, committing a, uh, a an ethnic cleansing in the West Bank, in certain portions of the West Bank, trying to uh, extend the settlements in uh, areas uh, A and B of the West Bank, kicking people out of their homes, kicking people out of their villages. Um, yeah, so that these things are, are occurring um, under the cover of the war in Gaza. And, uh, of course, the things that are happening in Gaza themselves are, uh, are certainly war crimes. Um, so, yeah, your tax dollars at work. I'm I'm shocked. Are you shocked? I'm absolutely shocked. <laughs> A durable piece. Yeah. 
a durable piece. A durable piece so everyone can live in peace so there can be peace, and in fact, the peace will be durable. That's what <laughs> happens when they force a conversation as the U.S. starts going back and forth about peace, 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 you know, weapons, weapons for peace, peace, Hamas, bad, durable peace, more weapons. So, no, yeah, we're going to have to let them keep doing that. Sorry, guys. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the conversation. And and then the meeting's over. I don't, the Security Council and the fact that there's veto power is the biggest fucking joke. Like, the fact that anyone takes it seriously, like, they have any sort of power when they have, I, it's, what, China, Russia, and the U.S. have veto, veto power? It's, it's diplomacy Does theater. Does India have veto power? It's diplomacy, th- I don't know. It's diplomacy theater is what it is. Because the, 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 everyone knows that actual diplomacy happens through backdoor channels anyway. You know what I mean? Like, like anything that happens at the UN is a, is a puppet show. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's really, uh, I, it's, I've been there. And like, when you walk through it, when you walk through the UN, which it's all like, oh, you have, uh, there's, there's different jurisdiction, I think, like when you go in there, uh, uh-huh. I'm like, this is the place. Like, it's nice or whatever. There's a nice view of the river. But, I, I mean, it's it's just rooms and, like, a little, oh, there there's a security council boardroom. Yeah, that's that's where they that that's where they do the talking. Let's, it, this is serious, guys. They really do stuff. And then, meanwhile, it's just, like, uh, the UK is handing over push notification records to the United States. And uh, people are, like, listening to Angela Merkel's phone calls. And it's just backroom deals in, you know, being brokered by the Qataris because, uh, you know, Israel isn't going to talk to Palestine. Victoria Newland is on the phone with the CIA picking the next president of Ukraine. Shit like that. Uh, the five permanent members with veto power in the UN are China, France, Russian Federation, UK, and United States. Uh Jesus Christ. Just just so you guys know. The UK and France do not frequently veto. At least maybe they do, but whenever it makes big headlines, it's like it's always Russia, China, or the US. I, I think it's funny that the UK abstained from the vote. They've got their own problems happening right well, now. I, do you know what's funny? Is that France has it and the UK has it and Germany doesn't fucking have it. <laughs> um I mean if you look at the history of the EU and the way that they set up the UN, everyone is very intent on Germany not getting any power. Meanwhile, are you ready for something that's uh, almost as dumb as the UN? Uh, I think I know what this is. Yeah, I think you do. I think you do. I'll never be ready. There was an op-ed that was published by someone who purports to be a professor at a law school at University of Pennsylvania. I do not know if this person is a law professor. I think they are. Could you pull I, could you pull up uh uh Miss Finkelstein there real quick that, and see Do you have any idea how little that narrows it down? What's the first name? <laughs> Claire Finkelstein. Oh, uh Algernon Biddle. Lawyer? She's really the, think that's She is the you're right. She's the Algernon Biddle Professor of Law and Professor of Philosophy at the University of Pennsylvania. She is a member of the school's open expression committee and chair of the law school's committee on academic freedom. Yeah, she's a JD from Yale. Okay. And a PhD in philosophy from University of Pittsburgh. 
Harvard lifelong soft-handed academic cunt. That's what she is. Okay, okay let's just. You That's know, what she we, is. We don't. We don't have to use that term. Oh, publicly, everyone's gonna agree. We? Everyone's gonna agree. Um, but, but you know, I just, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> if it if the, if the shoe fits, um, she posted an op-ed in the Washington Post that came up today, the tenth, and I read it, and my head exploded. And then you read it to me, even though I didn't want to hear it. Too and now bad. You're me talk about this now on a podcast. It's going to happen again. Um, <laughs> the headline to fight anti-Semitism on campuses: We must restrict speech. Now, as a quick reminder, this person is on the school's uh, University of Pennsylvania's Open Expression Committee and chair of the law school's committee on ac- on academic freedom. A private school that is not bound by the same strictures. So I don't even know why. She, they're free to do whatever they want. No, oh, if they wanted to, sure. But it stays stupid. Check this out. Uh, the testimony of three university presidents before a House committee last week provoked outrage after they suggested that calls on their campuses for Jewish genocide might not have violated their school's free speech policies, by the way. Um, when people say this, they're not referring to calls on their campuses for Jewish genocide. They're referring yeah, to from the river to the sea. Say, we need to genocide the Jews. That's also the important thing is the way that these headlines are written would make you think that somebody was actually out there saying, let's genocide Jews. That is completely that that is it's false. Yes. The 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 idea that what these people are saying is a call for Jewish genocide is a personal opinion on it. It is not objectively what is being said. Right. Um, and I mean, to, to clarify, that's not the, the stated intent of any of the organizations that are involved in this kind of thing. There may be one or two assholes out there that are like, let's just fucking kill them. But they're not, they're not representative. The, the, yeah, the, they're not out there on college campuses as these large organizations, groups of people yes. going, let's kill Jews. That's not happening. as their, as their group, uh, uh message. One of them, Liz McGill, was forced to step down on Saturday as president of the University of Pennsylvania, where I am a faculty member. But their statement shouldn't have come as a surprise. Congress could have assembled two dozen university presidents, and likely they would have received the same answer from each of them. This is because the value of free speech has been elevated to a near-sacred level on university campuses. As a result... Oh my god, that's awful. Oh, the horror. where people are learning things? Yeah. Um, this is because the value, as a result, universities have had to tolerate hate speech, even hate speech calling for violence against ethnic or religious minorities. With the dramatic rise in anti-Semitism, we are discovering that this is a mistake. Anti-Semitism and other forms of hate cannot be fought on university campuses without restricting poisonous speech that targets Jews and other minorities. What are the other minorities? Oh, uh, the people she's hiding behind so she can continue to make this argument. I'm looking up her CV. I want to see if she ever practiced law. <laughs> Fucking never. Now, she's got a PhD and a JD, and she works at... Uh, no, she's never practiced fucking law. I would like... She might have filed check. an amici somewhere. Oh, stop. It's amicus, okay? Whatever. Uh, might have filed as amici. amici. Thank you. You used it correctly in the plural term. Anyway. Okay. Most of the time, just for reference, the reason why we're we're wondering if she ever practiced law is that the majority of the time, 
um, if you see a terrible take like this from someone that purports to have a knowledge knowledge of the law, they may very well have a JD. They may very well be barred somewhere or have been, and they're just inactive because they're not practicing, they're teaching. Um, they often have absolutely zero real-life interaction with the law. Yes. Very, very common. It's one of the reasons that some of the old heads at our school uh, were, were actually some of the best professors because these guys um, and, and the women too came from practice and some of them still practiced uh, even yeah. while they were professors at this school. Um, and, and so there's a lot of practical I, knowledge there. Because there's, uh, there's some classes that one might take in law school. I took some ones that were a lot more academic and theoretical. That That's fine to do with somebody that's just an academic, but Man, you learn a lot from people that have actually gone to court, that have actually argued something, that have dealt with with real life clients and cases. There's a place for people that are just legal academics, but uh, they're it's not real writing life application like this. is not the same. Yeah, they they wouldn't write an op ed like this. The yeah. the people that have practiced, they might write something that I violently violently disagree with on speech on campuses but it wouldn't be this dead wrong like yeah. saying calls for like calls for violence well uh, uh, you can actually call for violence as long as it's not an imminent threat under brandenburg like nice try well that's going to come uh, up later <laughs> that's going to come up later here i'm going to continue um uh university presidents are resisting this conclusion I'm going to read the prior sentence. Anti-Semitism and other forms of hate cannot be fought on university campuses without restricting poisonous speech that targets Jews and other minorities. University presidents are resisting this conclusion. Rather than confront the conflict between the commitment to free speech and the commitment to eliminating the hostile environment facing Jewish students on campus, many simply affirm their commitment to both or buy time by setting up task forces to study the problem. Some have attempted to split the difference by saying they are in, uh, institutionally committed to free speech but personally offended by anti-Semitism. Others have said the answer to hate speech is education and more speech. She continues, countering speech with more speech might just mean adding to the hateful rhetoric on campus and would not solve the problem. And university presidents can set up all the task forces, study groups, and educational modules they like, but what kind of educational effort would possibly bring together warring groups that are busy calling for one another's violent demise? A person who is winning the argument doesn't want to shut down the discussion. No. Why would you? This is a this is a clear sign of of distress. This is desperation. Uh, what did you find out on her CV, by the way? Anything yet? Um, something far more important. Um, in 2017, she consulted with a law firm on 9/11 litigation, those lawsuits to try to sue like the Saudis. Yes. In 2021, she was an ethics consultant to the Biden transition team. 2021, she was a consultant to a witness in the special counsel uh, John Durham investigation. Yeah. Uh, so academic, also, ac academia and consulting and not a single billable hour of legal practice. Uh, she briefed on the AUMF to DOD officials. She briefed on presidential emergency powers for the U.S. Army and U.S. Air Force General Counsel at the DOD. She's briefed on U.S. aid to Ukraine to Navy JAG. Uh, she's a member. Of, she was a member of the United Nations Council of Advisors on the application of the Rome Statute to cyber warfare. Um, I'm not hearing anything she, that sounds like a shingle being hung up and taking clients. Okay, but what I'm hearing is a lot of involvement with 
national security. Oh yeah, she's a fuck. Oh yes, absolutely. Well, she's a Yaley. What do you expect? She she was on the uh she's on the ABA's uh, committee for national security. Of course she is. Yeah, and on the Foreign Agent Registration Act. Yeah, I bet she's been. I bet she's been in Samantha Power's house. I bet that's how much of a. I bet that's how much of a uh, of a deep state actor she is. She may very well be friends with a lot of the the people involved. <laughs> um, I, I'm I see all of her working papers and and whatnot. I mean, she's obviously quite accomplished, um, but I don't think she, from what I'm seeing, I don't know how much like. Uh, you know, daily work as a lawyer she's done. She's obviously consulted. Not a single bill of hour. At least at one point. But yeah, it, it doesn't seem like her career was spent like in the trenches doing kind of daily lawyer work the way that we would think of it. Yeah, no, not, not even, not even like civil rights litigation or any of these things that like you might see academic, um, you might see academic attorneys who work at, you know, universities taking on civil rights litigation or taking on cases that, that are going to go to the Supreme court and stuff like that. None of that from her. None at all. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, I don't want to say 100% because this is like a long CV and it's all blending together, but uh, it looks like most of it, yeah, is academic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in a video message released the day after her testimony, McGill issued an apology in which she suggested that her statements, while legally correct, were insensitive because she was, quote, not focused on the fact that a call for genocide is a, quote, Call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetrate. While many remain deeply troubled by the insensitivity of her comments, I am most concerned about the legal and policy conclusions McGill endorsed. That speech calling for Jewish genocide does not violate campus policies of the University of Pennsylvania. This is profoundly wrong. First, Penn, like Harmrood and MIT, is, an inst- is a private institution. And as such, it is not bound by the First Amendment. In my experience, Penn has never actually followed the First Amendment, even to a close approximation. The same goes for other amendments in the, to the U.S. Constitution. Penn also does not allow for the Second Amendment. If it did, our campus would be a war zone, especially given our apparent embrace of hate speech. You know, the Second Amendment doesn't keep a bad actor from coming onto the campus and doing something bad. That's typically what happens when there's people that attack people is that they're not good people. This woman should yeah. jump off a cliff. Okay, let's not. I hate her. Yeah. Um, uh, second. Even public universities that are bound by the First Amendment are not helpless in the face of hate speech. They do not have to listen to this bullshit from this academic moron. Even public universities that are bound by the First Amendment are not helpless in the face of hate speech. Hate speech, which, by the way, is uh, protected speech under the law. Uh, The Supreme Court already handled that. Um, There is no such thing as legal hate speech, and it can't be made illegal. Uh, this is a, this is a, this is stupidity. This is stupidity from an academic. Um, they do not have to stand idly by and wait for such, uh, for such speech to turn into quote conduct. Yes, they do. Uh, public institutions can restrict the quote time, place, and manner of demonstrations. That's true. Uh, they can restrict speech that incites violence that involves threats of violence against specific individuals or that involves the targeted harassment of members of the community. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, I'm still not seeing how the stuff being said falls under that. But well, let me, sure, I mean that's that's arguable, right? But let me ask you a question: What's the difference between time, place, and manner, and incitement to violence? Um, one of them has to do with 
the content of the speech and not the manner in which it's expressed. Time, place, manner is like we can make you protest in a certain area. Certain times you can't use loudspeakers and you got to get a permit. They can't do anything about what the content of what you're saying is unless it's incitement to violence, which is like saying pointing at a person saying, let's kill them right now and running at them. Time, place, that's exactly right. Time, place, manner, of course it's right. You know, I'm not, I'm not congratulating you. I'm saying for people listening, that's exactly I, right. I, I, I passed the cold call. Yes, you did. You did very well. Time, Ooh, place, you. and manner is the bulleted list of content-neutral speech restrictions that you are allowed to make. Then she, she says... content-neutral. Yes. That's she, the whole point of it. They must be content-neutral in order to be valid. Now, here's the thing. She says time, place, and manner, and then immediately goes to content. Immediately. Speech that incites violence, involves threats of violence against specific individuals, or involves the targeted harassment of members of the community. I don't know if targeted harassment actually falls under the same umbrella. It doesn't. It doesn't. Okay, but, also, what is targeted harassment? Well, I mean, harassment would have to be true illegal harassment in order for it to actually qualify under, under Brandenburg. It, it can't be the targeted harassment people talk about on the fucking internet. Like, it, 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 it's... Yeah, it, it can't be um, being mad at somebody. Yeah, and saying or bullying them on Twitter. That's not targeted harassment. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to find... <laughs> okay, so let's continue with this. Because she goes from, again, she goes from the content-neutral bulleted list, time, place, manner, right? And then mm. she immediately starts talking about content, incitement to violence, things like that. That falls under the Brandenburg test. Yes, which is very specific. Yes, it is incredibly specific. Every word of the Brandenburg test has a definition, and those definitions are very particular. The, the, the for example, incitement to violence, right? It requires that... The or it's not to violence, right? It's to uh, incitement to illegal conduct is the language of the test. And the incitement, right, in order for it to be incitement, the illegal conduct has to be um, reasonably likely to occur. And those being incited have to be capable of doing it. Right. That's the that's the uh, that's the thing. That's how that works. That's the, the that's how particular these definitions are is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's it, the words mean something. They have they went and if if there's a test for something legally and then it's they go on to define the specific uh, uh, intent behind every word used. That's a pretty good signal to you that it's meant to be taken very seriously and applied very narrowly. And it's a very high bar. That test is going to be a really high bar to clear. Yeah, people were talking about how. I mean, it was fucking everywhere after January 6th that Trump had done that, that he'd incited violence. And it, under the Brandenburg test, no. No, he did not. They had to walk. They had to take a long walk before they got there. Because part of it, I think, is the idea that it's in, like, the heat of the moment. And if you're taking a long walk to go to the place. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another part you, of it. The violence has really to be. the um, heat of the moment. The violence has to be, uh, has to be, um, oh, what's the term? Um, imminent. the The lawful act, the lawless action, has to be imminent. And, and then, imminence is a very, very strict standard. It yeah. it does not mean in you know an hour after we walk where we need to go. Imminence yeah. is is imminent, especially when you're talking is, about is rhetoric. Right then, yes. I mean, the way it would be, honestly, is like 
I think a good example is pointing somebody out in a crowd or like, oh, uh, if it's supposed to be these people calling for Jewish genocide, they see a Jew walking in the middle of the uh, uh, of this protest and someone yells, there is a Jew. Let's go beat him to death with our hands right now. Run, run, you group of people. And they all run and start beating them. Yes, that 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 would clear that Brandenburg. Is, yeah. <laughs> and that is not what's happening. Well, it's also the kind of thing where, like, let's say, for example, you have a defendant who is just acquitted and there's a, a crowd of people outside of the courthouse who are who say, there he is, get him. OK, that there you go. Yeah. Like it's it's imminent. This crowd of people is is there for that guy. They know that if they say get him, someone's going to go get him. That's that would clear Brandenburg. Stuff like that. You know what I mean? It, yeah, it's it's very, very specific. And it I mean, also. To a degree, most of the description of that is also probably in many states, uh, whatever their version of terroristic threats is. Yes, it, I recommend that probably already is is criminal in and of itself in, in a different manner. Yes, in a different sense. I recommend that people um, go read what was being said at the KKK rally at the at the core of the Brandenburg case. Yeah, the Brandenburg case is around a KKK rally that was happening and the rhetoric that they were using so this this test case the case in uh in brandenburg is not uh they're not talking about a, a group of likable people or yes. a group of people that you know 99 percent of the world would even agree with you're talking about a group of people that most people are on the same page have pretty repugnant views and what they were saying at the rally wasn't considered to be speech that could be restricted because they're allowed to have these terrible, awful views. There wasn't a person in front of them that they were about to hurt. Not only that, but the, the court specifically says that the, 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 the sort of principle that Brandenburg stands for is that you should be allowed to be inflammatory in your rhetoric. That, that, that's, that's said specifically in the, it's not, not uh, those exact words. I know they use the word rhetoric and I, they might use the word inflammatory, but that's basically the idea and why Brandenburg came down the way that it did is that if there's no immediate risk of harm to a person, you can be as inflammatory as you want. Yeah. Imminent lawless action is the specific. Imminent lawless action. Yes. Yes. Because they were charged under a criminal syndicalism act. Yes. That's, that's what it, what it was. Yes, um, um, I'm on I'm on Oye right now, <laughs> which is a actually pretty good resource for very quick yeah, statement of facts. It really is. Um, okay, so back to the story here. Uh, so we've 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 discovered two things, two facts. We've discovered that she doesn't understand First Amendment law generally, and we've discovered that she really fucking doesn't understand Brandenburg. Yes. First of all, because she thinks Brandenburg has to do with content neutral speech, which doesn't by definition it doesn't yeah by definition it's not content neutral um in any case okay universities also have a duty under title six of the civil rights act to ensure their campuses do not descend into quote hostile environments that effectively exclude students of ethnic religious or racial minorities from receiving the benefit of educational programs and activities on campus in fact Penn has already been sued by two Jewish students alleging that the university has become an, quote, incubation lab for virulent anti-Jewish hatred, harassment, and discrimination. Now, here's the problem with this, sweetheart law professor. This is the problem. You are citing a federal law and claiming that this federal law requires that this private school restrict speech on campus. 
Do you know what you've just created? You've created a challenge to Title VI under the First Amendment. Very simple. Because what she's saying, what she's saying, cannot be true. I I don't know the ins and outs of Title VI. If what if what she's saying is true, if what she's saying is that Title VI requires private universities to restrict their student speech, that would be uh that would that would pass the uh that would pass the uh government oh shit what's the what's the term I'm thinking of strict scrutiny uh, no state action doctrine oh, that would God. pass the state action doctrine the the state action doctrine is the idea that that the government has to be doing something in order for one of the rights to have been like a due process right or something like that to have been uh violated it has to be the state, state. doing it it's how you keep yeah. from um, holding private individuals to account for violations of civil rights, for example. So, like, if I don't want to let certain people into my house based on their race or something like that, I'm allowed to do that. And if they sue me because of the, um, because of, you know, whatever amendment they're saying that they've been harmed or, or whatever civil right they're saying I haven't been honoring, then I, they can't prove state action. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a guy. You know what I mean? So that's the that's the state action doctrine. If what she's saying is that Title VI requires that these private universities restrict speech on their campuses, she's satisfying state action right there. And that that would give rise to a cause of action against probably the university, but definitely the federal government for Title VI itself. It's antithetical to the First Amendment. If if what she's saying is true, Title VI is unconstitutional on its face. Um continuing. That underscores the point. With or without the First Amendment, calls for genocide against Jews, and here's the, here's the, here's the, here's the little shadow. Here's what she's, this is what she's lugging in to this argument when she's talking about calls for genocide against Jews. This is what she's carrying, okay? This is the, this is the Martin Bailey right here. With or without the First Amendment, Calls for genocide against Jews, or even proxies for such sentiments, such as calling for intifada against Jews, or for the elimination of Israel by chanting from the river to the sea, are, in the present context, calls for violence against a discrete ethnic or religious group. Yeah, that's just not true. But and, and that's where it all is revealed, right? When she's saying calls for Jewish genocide. Well, what calls? What, 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 what could they be saying? Oh, my God, I can't believe there's people out there who are saying let's genocide Jews. Oh, well, no, not that. What they're, didn't you guys know? From the river to the sea, that's genocide. Clearly. Yeah, let's get rid of. Uh, I mean, even if, even if from the river to the sea does mean let's get rid of the state of Israel, which I think it does. I, th- I think that's relatively well, uncontroversial. Did these Israelis- the Israelis say it too, to talk yeah. about getting rid of the Palestinians. Like, yes, uh, they do. Absolutely. Um, each side says it directly. And they're the referencing ethnic cleansing when they say it. Yeah. Um, but in any case, the, 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 this, this, this is what she's hauling into this argument, is that nobody's actually explicitly calling for genocide against Jews. Nobody. No, which, so you failed Brandenburg immediately. 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 She just, she just doesn't want people to say stuff she doesn't agree with, which, like, sure, I would love if everyone agreed with me all the time. But I'm not trying to manipulate, you know, federal law and the Constitution to achieve that goal. And here's the real fucking... This, honestly, it's good this chick never practiced. She'd make a shitty lawyer. Listen to this next sentence. Such speech, arguably, incites violence 
frequently inspires harassment of Jewish students and without question creates a hostile environment that can impair the equal education opportunities of Jewish students. What does the sanctity and the existence even of the state of Israel have to do with a Jewish student in Pennsylvania? How does that affect his environment at all? Doesn't make any damn sense. This is why, and by the way, this arguably incites violence. What'd you think of that? Well, you've already failed Brandenburg by saying arguably. (laughs) You can't preface it. It, This arguably, well, your honors, this arguably could, like, cause violence. Okay, you failed it then. The violence has to be has to be possible and, and it has to be it has to be reasonably likely to happen as a result of yeah. the speech. If somebody is violating the Brandenburg, right, if they're failing the Brandenburg test and what they say, you'll fucking know it. You'll know it when you see it. It's not arguable. It's not possibly it's not in our view. It's. You fucking know because something terrible is about to happen right now. Yes, exactly. And this is the other issue, too. Like, here's the thing. If there was somebody making this speech in front of a paramilitary group of students who were about to load up on a freaking aircraft and go coup the government of Israel, there maybe there's a case there. No, because they have to fly. Oh, you're fucking right. It's not imminent. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the, one of the most difficult tests to fail legally to pass oh yeah yeah you're, you pass uh, brandenburg i get confused by it too because of what side of the issue i'm on but I, yeah you guys understand what i mean yes you yes it. um it's fine uh well it depends on what's being challenged yeah anyway uh Though open expression and academic freedom are critically important values in higher education, there oh, are... <laughs> well, yeah, and well, she has to say that oh, to save so her fucking job. Important. That's the it's committee so she's important. on. It's so important that we have free speech, that we have free idea. I mean, man, there's nothing more important than open, honest, free speech on a campus, unless I feel not great about what they're saying and then honestly we've got to just upend this whole thing who cares about the constitution that much you know (laughs) there are other values that universities must promote as must promote as well what are these values that must be promoted she provides us with a list oh amazing for example encouraging civil dialogue across differences cultivating critical listening skills This is the opposite of that, because if you fucking shut down speech that you don't want to hear, no one is going to be able to sit there, hear something, listen to it, and respond to it with their opinion. If you're only fucking hearing an echo chamber of what you want, you're a terrible goddamn What she means is critical listening skills to what she says. It's really not hard to understand what she's saying. You don't need critical listening skills. This is written at the age of, like, a... <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. I was developing, half when we went through this, and I fucking. It's very easy to understand. Developing the skills to build community relationships, promoting the ability to engage in moral reflection, and building resilience in the face of challenge. These normative skills cannot be taught effectively in an environment where students and faculty are hurling calls at one another for the elimination of ethnic, religious, or racial subgroups. By the way, no one did that. 
No one did that. Do you know why my ancestors were so resilient? <laughs> Constantly. Everything was a constant, awful, terrifying struggle in which sometimes 75% of your family was disappeared and you just assumed they died. I am afraid to send an email to somebody. I don't... <laughs> resilience? What resilience is being cultivated? I'm terrified to go to the post office. The grocery store is a stressful experience. What resilience is being cultivated? Well, I mean... Well, she said that in kind of the context of this engaging in moral reflection, which means uh, agreeing what with her. What does that mean? Agreeing what with her. What does that mean? Engaging in moral reflection. It means learning to agree with her. And then you're resilient? Yes! No. There's no... Res- can't like, you the see? least resilient can't people you on see? this earth are people in college right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Okay, universities must also consider their obligations. Obligations this is obligatory to the broader society as they prepare young people to assume responsibilities in public life. What values do university presidents think are most important to prepare leaders in a democracy? The ability to shout intemperate slogans or the ability to engage in recent debate with people who have moral and political differences? I didn't know that part of um, universities was preparing people to lead in democracies. I didn't know that making saying certain things verboten meant that's what engaging in reasoned debate means, reasoned dialogue. Well, because it's unreasonable if you say something that people don't like. So, you know what, you're right. You're right. Yeah. If I sit here and I say, Israel bad, I'm being totally unreasonable. That's That's not reasonable. Um, yeah, you're right. That's absolutely correct. This woman is a genius. Uh, the ability... <laughs> um, next one. Is it any surprise that students educated in an environment of anti-Semitism would behave as anti-Semites in their adult lives? Let me ask I this. Know, I want to ask this woman this on this point because I do actually care about this issue. Is it a surprise that when you have people like this woman purporting to speak for Jews... Determine who is and is not an anti-Semite. Talking about what it means, what other people's motives are for saying from the river to the sea. A person who is this full of herself, with no life experience whatsoever. Remember, she's an academic. This is a person who purports ultimately, much like organizations like the ADL and APAC, to speak for all Jews. The government of Israel does this. And this person is is writing this op-ed in the Washington Post. This op-ed is a screed against the Enlightenment values, the liberal values that the United States Constitution, the Brandenburg Test itself, the First Amendment, were based upon. These ideas that, that a person should be free to speak their mind, to be inflammatory, to say things that we hate, and they should be free to say these things. Why? Because chilling that kind of speech is how you develop an illiberal society. It's how you develop a society where people do just start killing each other. It's how you develop a society where governments throw people in prison for saying things that that the government doesn't like, for criticizing their government. That's how you end up with those societies. These are foundational principles to the American experiment. And this woman who purports to speak for all Jews is saying this is bad. I want to present to this woman the fact that most political anti-Semites that I see, most political anti-Semites are political anti-Semites because they believe that Jews as a people infiltrate and subvert other nations. And she has this whole screed 
that she's published in the Washington fucking Post claiming to speak for Jews and saying, well, yeah, but this is a this is a uh, this is a foundational thing to America. Sure, but we should subvert it. Can I would love to ask these people, these people who claim to speak for the Jews, the people at the ADL, the people in the in the government of Israel, the people at APAC. I would love to ask them for just just a moment whether or not they think they are making anti-Semitism worse. And secondly, whether or not they fucking care. She's making the argument for them. Yeah, the, she doesn't think that. Trust me, I, I know, I have been around a lot of people that have these views. Um, they don't care. You say that kind of thing and they say, no, that's not true, that's not what I'm doing. It, it's not, that's why there's so little reasonable conversation about it. Because people who are just intent on believing that they're correct aren't going to sit down and critically listen <laughs> to to something that's presented to them to reflect perhaps on on the implications of what they're writing or what they're saying if they don't think it's true it's not true to them it's just no that's not what i'm doing i'm protecting people from it if i were a person who didn't know jews okay if i were a person who didn't know jews who didn't know jews i knew jews growing up if i was a person who didn't have that life experience okay and this was all of the all of the exposure that I had to Jews and Judaism was the shit that comes from this woman, the shit that comes from the ADL, the shit that comes from the government of Israel. If that, if that was my, uh, from the American government, if that was all of the exposure that I had to Jews, I mean, you could absolutely see why somebody who is ignorant in that way would develop this strain of political anti-Semitism because all these people who claim to be speaking for the Jews, again, I'm the fucking Lorax, right? All these people who are claiming to speak for the Jews are proving the stereotypes. And they could just choose not to. I don't even know if they see it. Do you know what I mean? No, they don't. If a person doesn't know Jews, if a person doesn't know the way the average Jew behaves, right? The way the average person is, they're just, it's average people. But if this is some sort of thing that presents it, honestly, the, the, the government of Israel presents Jews as an alien species. The ADL does the same thing, presenting Jews as an alien species, separate and apart from human beings. It's not the case. But the people who speak for, who claim to speak for the Jews say it is. And that's all the political anti-Semites need. That's all they need. To justify their position. To rationalize their position. It's all they need to recruit new people. This is how this shit gets dangerous. No, I'm you know pretty what? sure it's saying a chant outside. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. I forgot. It's yeah. a bunch of fucking college kids who don't know a goddamn thing about the world walking around talking about free Palestine. Yeah, that's the dangerous part of it. <laughs> it makes me mad. It really, really, really angers me. Eh, I, it just is what it is. It's been, it's, uh, it's been like this my whole life people don't see the bind that they get into when they take certain positions. They don't see that they're, that they're playing into the worst stereotypes. And if you tell them you are, they say, no, I'm not. And, and that's that. This is one of those things that people are very set on their set in their views. And they, it, there are many different things in life that if somebody feels strongly enough about it, you can say all you want about how what they're saying is incorrect or it's intellectually dishonest or there's consequences to the way that they're saying it that, you know, create 
uh, the opposite of the intended outcome. And if a person doesn't want to hear it, if they don't believe it, they're not going to. Yeah. And anything that happens to prove that you, the person telling this person, um, that, that something that they're saying or doing is incorrect or dangerous, uh, anything that happens to, to support the person warning that other person about it is also there's something to explain it away. Oh, it's not that, it's this. Or, oh, you're just not seeing it the right way. Or, oh, it's not really that big of a deal. It's, it's, it's just disgusting to me. You're right, though. It, it's, they, they can't see it. They can't see it. They can't see it. And by the way, I, I do want to clarify, because I know there are some people who will hear that, and they'll be like, what, you're blaming Jews for anti-Semitism? No. No, I don't blame Jews for anti-Semitism. There's a lot of Jews out there, and like I said, they're just average-ass people. They're just normal fucking people. They're not fucking aliens. The ADL wants you to think they are. The government of Israel wants you to think they are. They're not. The, the, the thing that the people who are at fault for this current sort of strain of political anti-Semitism is the people who claim to speak for Jews. It's people like this woman. It's people like the ADL. It's people like the government of Israel. That's who's to fucking blame. The last time that I had a conversation about Israel with a Jewish person that wasn't my like immediate family was 2018? 2017? Yeah. No, you know what? I remember where I was. It was 2016. <laughs> where were you the last time you spoke to a Jew about Israel? <laughs> I was outside of an apartment complex at a friend's friend's apartment that we were staying at for Shabbos. And I remember because I did something later that night... I went somewhere and I remembered that I left from there and did my hair at that apartment. And prior to Shabbos starting, I'd been talking about this with my friend. And that was the last time that I've had a conversation with a Jew about Zionism in Israel. Because there's, unless it's someone that I know is like-minded or at least doesn't have the same extreme views, and I don't know many people like that, um, there's no point in a conversation. Yeah. And so, yeah, the last time was 2016, and, uh, oh, the year of Trump. No, 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 it wasn't that. I think I saw a Norman Finkelstein clip and showed it to her, and it didn't go well. <laughs> oh, yeah, that reminds me. Somebody said in the comments to this, uh, to this article, somebody said, oh, the bad Finkelstein. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny. Um... Yeah, this is a, this is a, uh, I'm, I'm just going to finish this piece out because you guys don't have to go read it. You don't have to give it a click. Um, like all skills, students will become expert at that which they practice most. Privileging free speech on campus relative to other values emphasizes skills that pose the greatest challenge to our democracy and fails to cultivate the skills democratic societies most need. The skill being, of course, agreeing with this cunt. Um, the crisis of anti-Semitism in our universities mirrors the crisis in our democracy. Isn't it time for university presidents to rethink that role? Uh, the role that open expression and academic freedom play in the educational mission of their institutions. And remember, remember, after, after I read that last paragraph, remember, this person is um, uh, a member of the schools of UPenn's Open Expression Committee and chair of the Law School's Committee on Academic Freedom. That's her position in the world. Fucking soft-handed academics, man, they're useless. Absolutely useless. And it just, it really does, it really does bug me that it's like, you just, in this one article, you have just given the political anti-Semites everything they need. Everything they need. Right here. It's a gift. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, many such cases. I, I mean, there's a lot of people who just started paying attention to this. It's been like this for 
decades. That's true. And it's but- been getting, it's been getting, I don't go to synagogue because these conversations before there was another active conflict going on, like an actual military operation when it was just regular discord between the groups. Uh, people say shit like this. People say shit that makes no sense and you c- can't call them on it. This kind of thing is now being seen by everybody else, but to Jewish people paying attention and Jewish people who object to statements like this and these, you know, bl- blanket endorsements of Israel and and uh, othering Jews that live in the diaspora, which even saying diaspora is kind of implies that we're supposed to be in Israel, but Jews that live outside of Israel, this has been going on for forever so while i guess i appreciate people seeing that it can pose a danger of blowback and just further uh satisfy people's suspicions about jews being shifty and you know subversives uh, yeah and and infiltrating things it's just another fucking article to me it's it's always been like this it's worse now i've seen I've seen a greater degree of open displays of anti-Semitism recently since since October 7th than I've seen in a long time. And I'm not, I'm not talking about fucking college students chanting from the river to the sea. That's not fucking anti-Semitism. I'm talking about real, uh, like, wignat anti-Semitism. I've seen it displayed far more openly since this began than ever before. Oh, this holiday season, I've been saying Merry Christmas to people. I was a happy holidays girl. Yeah. Nope. I've been saying Merry Christmas to everyone. Yeah. I just, there's certain situations. It's not like I went around advertising that I was Jewish. Who fucking cares, right? It's not. I, I don't need everyone to know everywhere that I go that I'm Jewish. Why? Well, yeah, I mean. It's, it's not a big deal. But, I mean, I used to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I have worn um hebrew necklaces and jewish stars and other other religious necklaces i'm not doing that right now i haven't ever put a mezuzah up when i moved um definitely not going to do that now uh i'm not going to make any kind of comments around around people that i'm not sure are like safe people um i'm just not gonna say anything about it and i actually have been informed that there's been some stuff that actually has like some assaults on on Jewish people, um, like in the area, not anything where anybody ended up in the hospital or anything like that, but some stuff that um, is not great to hear actually happened, right? It's not yeah. everybody, not everyone's leaving their house and that's happening, but things that uh, six months ago it would have been shocking to hear had happened at all. Let me ask you this mm-hmm. Do you believe it all? That any of that would be the case outside of the normal amount of racism that exists just in society, right? Um, outside of that kind of thing, do you think that that would at all be the case if Israel weren't uh, in in the uh, in in the throes of committing an ethnic cleansing, and the media outlets and the people who claim to speak for Jews weren't saying the shit they were saying? If okay, in this hypothetical, there's no attack on Gaza. In this hypothetical, the two-state solution worked in 2014. I don't think there'd be the increase. I think there'd be the normal amount of anti-Semitism. Right. There's the normal amount of racism that floats around in society anyway. 
the normal yeah, amount of bigotry think, that that exists. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think it would be increased. I think the existence of Israel and the fact that there needed to be a two-state solution and all of that irreparably did cause damage in progress around um, combating anti-Semitism or combating this idea of of otherness or um, it, infiltration of of world governments and organizations. I think that has irreparably harmed um, people's understanding of of Jews and the difference between Jews and the government of Israel. Yeah. I, I don't think you come back from that. It doesn't mean things will never improve again, but that's something that's just always going to be there. This is even the kind of thing that I... Even if this all ends super peacefully, right? In mm-hmm. the unlikely event that this ends and like everyone's happy and they figure out something that works for them and there's never a problem ever again. Everyone lives happily ever after. Yeah. It, this will always be something that's brought up. Kind of like the Germans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, do you know how hard... It was for my family to be both German and Jewish. They went from <laughs> hiding being German during the First World War, and then they had to double back and hide being Jewish and German. My grandfather, my, look, my family is German. You know this. My grandfather was accused of being a Nazi in a court document. Yeah, people will get their digs in wherever. Yeah, so this is the kind of thing I mean, that, that, yeah. It, that is to say, it stains the people forever. The things yeah. that are happening in Gaza right now will stain Israel forever. And here's the problem. Israel has done such a good job of conflating Zionism with Judaism and Israel with Jews that it will, it will bleed over and stain Jews as well. And it shouldn't. I mean, it already has. Well, yeah. Yeah. But the more you get the Nikki Haley's of the world, and I'm sure Claire Finkelstein's of the world, Coming out and saying, uh, you know, if you're if you're against the existence, even the existence of the state of Israel, that means you're an anti-Semite like that. That is a. uh... Yeah, I love it when people tell me what anti-Semitism is, you know, like like and when people tell me that if if you don't want Israel around, right, not annihilating people, but I, I don't think it was a good idea and I don't think. I think it continues to not be a good idea that that whole thing's going on. That makes you an anti-Semite? Yeah. I've, I'm learning a lot about myself. Well, don't you know you're just a self-hating Jew? Well, you know, I do hate myself, but it has nothing to do with me being Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's the, I mean, it's the same thing as just like, you know, if you, like, if we're having a conversation and you defer to my judgment on a thing, that's just, that's just uh, patriarchy. You're just, you're ju- you've just got, what's the term they use? Um, what's the term they use for that? The, 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 uh, I'm internalized misogyny. That's what I'm unfamiliar with the scenario that you're putting forward. Yeah, sure. Decision. Yeah, sure. It could be about like (laughs) buying new tires or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway, yeah, that's just your internalized misogyny causing that. Yeah. I'm, I just apparently am a self-hating Jew. And a self-hating woman. Apparently, I hate myself in a lot of ways that I don't... I didn't think I hated myself in that way. Yeah, well... It's a whole list of ways I hate myself, but none of them had to do with being Jewish or a woman. Well, they do now, and it's because uh, Claire Finkelstein and, and Nikki Haley and all these other assholes think so. Yeah, I love it when um, Gentiles 
tell me how I, as a Jew, am supposed to think. <laughs> That's feel. the thing. And is... I go, really? Really? <clears throat> Ace it's and nothing I... when another Jew does it. It's like, okay, I disagree with you, but at least you got the standing to like have more of an opinion. You can be wrong, <laughs> but you're also Jewish. When it's like a Congress or Nikki Haley or fucking like evangelical Christians who just want to see us fucking destroyed and burned so that that way we can either accept Christ or, you know, go to the fucking depths of hell. When it's those people, you that's fascinating to me mm-hmm. that you are telling me the minority group yeah how i'm supposed to feel well it's just I, like all fascinating. the fascinating well it's just like all the white girls that tell all of the uh you know the the black guys that talk about you know when when a black guy goes makes a youtube video and he talks about problems in in black culture and things like that and there's all the white girls talking about how that's just internalized racism it's that it's it's actually the 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 worst form of of uh, prejudice and privilege to believe that you have the standing to tell another group that's marginalized or minority in some way uh, how to think and feel. Oh right? yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, of course. Well, we know better than you. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, so Claire Finkelstein doesn't know a goddamn thing about the law. If you're in her classes, ask for a refund. Um, she is terrible. And she has never practiced a day in her life, as far as we can tell. Um, so this is a, uh, yeah, this is a person who has no business in a classroom teaching anybody about the law at all. Uh, because she clearly doesn't get it. <laughs> I, I, I really hope she doesn't teach con law or, uh, or uh, anything relating to the First Amendment. I really hope she doesn't. Because... There's a lot of people... At, at, man, there's a lot of not great con law professors out there. There's a lot of not great law professors out there. I know, but particularly con law, like, I mean, I had a very specific experience. Um, well, yeah, that, we had a, we had a, good. we had a fucking rad con law professor. That's why. No, you did not. For oh, all I, took, I took a, I took a class with him. I didn't take, uh, I didn't take con law with him, but I took another constitutional law class with him. Yeah, but it's, he, you can't claim to be part of that group. You didn't go through what we went through. Okay? <laughs> that was, you don't know what it was like. You were not there. <laughs> it was right. quite a thing. But there are, it actually does, when I see some of these people that are con law professors, and it's not that uncommon because, I mean, universities tend to have more progressive academics. And some of them have some beliefs and thoughts that, influence how they teach class as one does people are frequently influenced by their own opinions sure i wonder what it's like to take a con law class with them what would you come out of it thinking apparently Uh, you you would come out of her class thinking that brandenburg has to do with content neutral speech restrictions i guess i just uh, there's a whole it, it honestly the way that con law is taught really is is maybe I think that might be one of the most formative things for somebody in law school moving forward. Oh yeah, because not everybody you know interacts with portions of the Constitution every day the way that people who do criminal law, yep, do. But it is the basis of everything. I mean, the Constitution is implicated in many different things, and who teaches you con law and what you get out of it is going to influence you and your perspective for the rest of your career. Oh yeah. And if you, you had get somebody your, who thinks that, thinks you had that a, Lochner is anti-canon, <laughs> like, 
<laughs> fucking cases saying that like slavery's okay. If you think that case, if you're being taught that case is as bad as um something saying that treating human beings as chattel is okay. If yeah. you're taught that that economic freedom case is as bad as that, I don't even know how they would approach anything else. Yeah. It's difficult yeah. because it also it raises the question about what do these people who are coming out of law schools think about civil rights? What do they think? What do they think civil rights even are? What do they think that that uh, a defendant's rights even are? What do they have an understanding of this at all? Of the limitations that are actually on government and, and the limitations that should be on government? Do they have any idea whatsoever? I've been seeing, and I don't like, this is just a vibe that I'm getting from some of that group of people from this like generation of, uh, of more progressive academics, is that, and at least honestly, this is more honest than misinterpreting the Constitution. There is a group of people that think that the Constitution should be heavily amended. And while I don't agree, that's at least more intellectually honest than just willfully misinterpreting it. That that really, when I hear them talk about stuff, it sounds like they don't think it should exist in the manner that it does. So they maybe do understand what it's supposed to do. They don't agree yeah. that there's this many things that are protected in that manner. Well, which the, is frightening, the, the number that I think hate speech should be illegal. I heard other fucking it's fucking obnoxious person fucking said to me that hate speech was legal when I was like a one L and they were a two L. And I was like, I haven't even taken con law yet, and I know that's true. They were like, whoa, like, once you take con law, I'm like, I bet not. <laughs> I, I, I bet. Who fucking taught you? I bet not I'm going to learn that. Like, what? It... The hell are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That, that just, no, no, that, you're that fine. That fucking is stuck in my head for years now. Yeah. Hearing somebody who thinks that they're smarter than me and better saying, oh, hate speech is illegal. I'm like, how am I? This is not even a good faith conversation at this point. No. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's the thing is they 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 confuse the law with what they wish the law was. And wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Wouldn't wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Fucking uh, warrant requirement for everything. You can't do a warrantless search anymore. I would love that. You know, maybe I should just manifest <laughs> protections. I, I should just manifest that. Yeah. And maybe it'll happen. Make a little vision board. Yeah, uh, I know there's a lot of these. I, I've I follow several of these academics at, at you know at high tier universities who are talking about the, these people who are teaching law students and they are just so off fucking base all the time. I I unfollowed a lot of the progressive ones a couple years ago. Um, there was a lot of COVID stuff that I thought they were just willfully misinterpreting the Constitution. Oh God, restrictions. Yeah, but then with Israel. Man, I unfollowed a bunch of the conservative ones because they were the like, oh, but if they had the Second Amendment types. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm, there are, all, uh, there's next to no legal academics that I'm following anymore because everybody annoyed me. They're useless. They're useless. Well, I don't, I wouldn't say they're useless. They're useless. They're soft-handed. They have no fucking real-world experience. These people who have been in academia their entire fucking lives have no idea what it's like to live in the world none i've i had some in law school that have ours weren't but our professors weren't academics our professors had law practices some of them were entirely academic some of them were but that was that was not those certainly weren't the best professors 
It depends. I mean, I'm saying I don't think they're useless writ all, but I think there are a good amount of people where when they talk about certain things, they they show the amount of knowledge that they have and the amount of understanding. Yeah. And it's like you can just write obscure stuff about, you know, um, British legal theory in some weird niche contract thing. You can write about that and you're you're basically a historian. Fantastic. Stay in your lane. Yes. They serve a purpose. But when some of these people who really have no idea of how it actually works, like outside of being in the library, it, it, it's the the lack of self-awareness, like having a JD in and of itself makes you more um, qualified to talk about this stuff. It absolutely does not. That's anyone the thing. can get a JD. Anyone can pass the bar to a large degree. It's just it's hurdles to jump through. Yeah, but it's not hoop everyone jumping. can understand it and not everyone can practice competently. That's that's the big issue that I see a lot with these legal academics is that they don't understand the law functionally. They they think they have an idea of it, but it's all theoretical. They don't understand how it functionally operates. They don't understand how, for example, the Brandenburg test works. Yeah, they they don't because they don't need to. And honestly, I mean, that's one of the big failings of uh, legal education right now. I, I think there is a place for more theoretical work. I think there is a place for studying legal history. I like yeah, to be sure. able to do some of that. Well, you need it, especially when you, more and more of your stuff is going to be based on the, the sort of the history and tradition of the legal system in the United States. Yeah. We need to know those you things. Need That's to fair. Know that. Yeah. But you get out of law school and you don't know fucking anything. Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying. And if you can be lucky enough to be in a position where you clerked or you were mentored, you have experiences, not everyone, you know, starts their first job as a lawyer and they have no fucking clue at all. Yeah. Yeah. You are not sent out practice ready. You have to seek out a pseudo form of apprenticeship. And even then, even when you have some more experience and know how than other people might when you're starting out day one at your job after you got your fresh bar card, it still takes a couple years before you feel as comfortable or don't have to ask as many questions Mm -hmm. and that's i think it's fine to be new and have to ask questions people ask questions all the time no matter how long they've been doing something but the level of questions and 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 just terror (laughs) that that are unleashed upon a lot of lawyers the second they step into a courtroom after three years of busting their ass for jumping through hurdles and after all of that all the hurdles you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah, because it's all because it's the practical nothing. side of it. It's the practical side of it that they don't teach. They don't teach like they don't teach how to actually like. I was very fortunate to have a lot of professors who were um, who did practice and were practicing, and who did take the time to go. It was a couple of classes in in, in some of these a couple of class periods of going through. This is the timeline of a case. This is the first thing that happens. This is the next thing. This is your window for these motions. This is your window for these motions. This is your window for these motions. This is your window for trial. This is your window for all that stuff was. This is your window for appeal. All, they went through it beginning to end. And sounds a lot like sounds a lot like civil court. <laughs> well, it was a 
Yes. <laughs> sounds sounds like you mean there's a timeline? There's a predictable end to this case? That was yes, it was my civil practice professor. You Yeah, it, so, it sounds real fucking nice to know what the hell's going on to have, you know, people in the courtroom know when <laughs> something's going to happen to be able to provide a timeline, to be able to tell somebody when it'll happen instead of saying, "I am so sorry. I I cannot tell you when this will end." <laughs> sounds sounds really nice. Sounds really civil. But it <laughs> It still translates. The the sure, the mean, order yeah, of does. operations is still the same. It's really not. <laughs> no, I mean it's the same in in a broad sense. You still have the same stuff that happens before and after you pick a jury. You still have the same well, stuff yeah. that happens like you know what I mean. Like the like the timeline broadly is still the same. Appellate deadlines are always the same. It's, right. it's the same number for everybody. Yeah. I mean but, and, in, in any case what I'm saying is that's the kind of thing that a lot of people don't get. And they don't do state-specific bar exams for the most part anymore, too. So you got people going in there day one. They don't know fuck all about the state No, law all they learned was federal law. In. in, Unless you seek out state-specific classes, which I tried to do, but the options for me for criminal law, it was one class. Yeah. The single class. And then when you study for the bar, you have to forget the state law you know because it doesn't jive with the common law and MPC, you know, these model codes law that you have to study for the bar. Oh yeah, you have to relearn state law basically. And, and then I had to re and then I had to like remind myself, all right, we're back in Texas mode. Yes. Right, in any case, the, the, these these professors I think are a massive, massive drain. People who write op-eds like this, where it's like it's very clear that they have no conception of of how the of how these these Supreme Court opinions even function. Um, they've got no idea what the what the actual like they 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 couldn't tell you how to apply a test to a set of facts because if if she could tell you how to apply a test to a set of facts, uh, she wouldn't have said that she wouldn't have brought up Brandenburg standards and when discussing content neutral restrictions. Yeah. When discussing the opposite, those are two totally different categories. Yeah. And two different forms of analysis. Yeah. So, so this is a, this is a person with no practical handle on how the law functions. It's all theoretical. It's all, oh, I write pieces and I write briefs and I write, I write for, for journals and I write all this stuff. It's like, yeah, but okay. But like, how does it work? Yeah. How would you apply it? If you have a client, how would you apply this? are they going to pass the test? Are they going to fail the test? What's the counter? Well, it's very much like the, like, you know, the example that I popped off with, with the, uh, the, you know, uh, somebody telling a group of paramilitary people about to hop on a plane and go do a coup in Israel. And it's like, does that, does that pass Brandenburg? That would be a very interesting question. I assumed, I assumed it would, but then you brought up the eminence thing. And I mean, there still is an argument that, that it, would be Brandenburg. Oh, well, I mean, which is, which is, which is how the law works. It's like, yes, it's this. No, it isn't because of this. No, yes, it is because of that. I mean, it's not it. When they write these little op-eds, it's presented as if it's so cut and dry and that the law is cut and dry and that there's not different interpretations. And it's, None of it is cut and dry. If only it were as simple as, well, we do this test and that test. And because of this, that's fine. End of story. Yeah. I would love to send I would love to send this professor the just the facts of Brandenburg with like the speech that was being made and stuff like that and then just say uh is is this um legal? I wonder what the answer would be. No, this is the Brandenburg case. This one wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, 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 it's different. It, they didn't say from the river to the sea. Well, it's no, not. I wouldn't I wouldn't tell it her it's Brandenburg. Ex- I would just send the facts as if it's a hypothetical. It has to be the same exact situation for it to. A lot of lawyers, if skilled lawyers will tell you this, you cannot analogize case law from a case that doesn't have the same set of facts. <laughs> I, well, I, I, uh, I mean, that's the interesting thing, though, about Brandenburg, is he had some choice things to say about Jews at that KKK rally. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, <laughs> honestly, it's like if it, it really goes to show how serious the commitment to generally thought to be repugnant speech uh, uh, being legal is, right? It's yeah. saying, no, we, we don't agree with this. Like I said, I this recommend people go we, read what we, was being said this. at that rally. Yeah, and the reason that I recommend going it. to read it is because I can't read it on the show. I yeah, would. It's, it's I can't. <laughs> like and it's I'm, yeah, it's bad. I don't. You know, maybe I'm old fashioned, but um, having the ability for people to say things, share their views, that most people would find repugnant, is a way for me to be able to um, not associate with them. Yeah, old school Skokie ACLU fan. Yeah, of just, (laughs) I I mean, and if it's directed at imminently harming me, that's a crime in and of itself, and that's not protected. They can have, that was the whole case, right? There was a law that was criminalizing that kind of speech. Well, terroristic threats is a very common charge places, and that's when you threaten to harm somebody, and you're going to harm them. And they still have to be true threats. You still have to pass a 1A standard for that. If if someone's going to harm me, that's already not allowed. I don't, of course I don't like that. I don't want someone to do that. If someone's going to say something shitty that I don't like and makes me feel uncomfortable and I find offensive, well, that's not a crime, but now I know who the fuck not to talk to. Yep. I don't, of course none of it is this simple, but it, this is the way it's set up. It's, it's set up relatively well, theoretically, at least. Yeah. Of, we already have recourse for people trying to harm you. No one's saying that's okay, but don't say, don't take that and abuse that system to make things that you perceive to be a threat to you and, and completely subvert. She doesn't perceive it to be be a threat to her. That's part of the problem of this whole thing is she wants it to be a threat to her when at most it's a threat to the nation state that is Israel. No, I think people truly actually do think it's a threat to them. It, it people really are taking this stuff from from people that I've talked to and things that I've heard. There is a belief in a lot of people that something like from the river to the sea is is like is calling for genocide. It's not true. It's not accurate. It's not the correct interpretation. It's probably not what's even intended by a good amount of people. You know, I don't know their subjective beliefs, but not everyone saying that is going to be thinking, oh, yes, genocide, but people are really latching on to specifically chants like that, really truly meaning that they want Jews to be annihilated. Yeah. That's, there are people who really do truly feel terrified, and I I personally am afraid of anti-Semitic blowback, but it's, it's the blowback. I'm frightened too, but in a different way yeah not of the college kids who are saying from the river to the sea it's the it's the people who who see the response from the lorax and they act like 
uh, like this is representative now. Yeah, where because you know they often say things they don't say often the the verbiage used when talking about Israel is people will say Jews were killed here in Israel. They don't say Israelis. It's even stuff like that. Yeah. It's it's little and I have caught myself saying something like that. Jews instead of Israelis. Well it's so ingrained in the language. It's not the same thing. Yeah, it's not it's not the same thing. I'd be the first person to tell you it's not the same thing. But I've made those slips before because yeah, it's just it's ingrained in the kind of words that we use. Right. And that does have a consequence when you make those, um, not comparisons, what's the word? Conflations. Yes. Yeah. When you conflate those two things, unfortunately, bad actors, people who, who are prone to anti-Semitism and general distrust of Jews, they'll take those conflations and run with it. Yeah, they believe it. They believe it. They believe the ADL and the ACLU, or not the ACLU, the ADL and APAC and, uh, and, and Nikki Haley when they say that Israel is Jews. They believe it. That's what's dangerous about it. I, I really do think that that's the, I really do think that that's what's leading this current wave, especially since October 7th, this current wave of anti-Semitism, I think is, is being led primarily because that conflation has been so thoroughly ingrained that people feel comfortable now. I'm of the belief that, for the most part, at least in the United States, in places like France, there's been some pretty frightening situations with anti-Semitism. Yeah. I don't think we're entirely based on this. Um, but it's been my belief that, at least in the U.S., um, most anti-Semitism growing within rec- the recent past is blowback from from Israel and from that conflation. Yeah. That for the most part, I mean, I think there's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be people that have a view on Jews that isn't accurate, but that that was kind of dying out to a degree. And and now I think that this is just reigniting. Well, people also that. come to discover that Israel and the clean break policy and all that is the cause of the global war on terror and all this other stuff and ultimately the cause of 9-11. And, and people come to learn that stuff. And then that's when the conflation kicks in. The conflation kicks in because then it's like, oh, Israel equal Jews. Therefore, Jews caused 9-11. Jews caused all this terror, all the global war on terror, all the blowback that there's been. It's all the fault of the Jews. When really, I mean, it's the nation state of Israel. The clean break is the nation state of Israel's policy. There are a lot of Jews who don't think the global war on terror is a good thing. But the nation state of Israel disagrees with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's... That's where the great disservice was done. Makes it dangerous. Makes it dangerous. All right. Uh, we've been going for over two hours. Jesus Christ. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, do you have anything that you wanted to plug? No. I figured. Um, <laughs> I, I want to plug the belief that apple pie is not good. Okay. Well, that will certainly get you some comments. Um, the... <laughs> I'm sure of it. Uh, the show, T-E-T-C dot show on Blue Sky, B-S-K-Y. Uh, then uh, at T-E-T-C show on Twitter. Um, I am Pacing Joska, J-O-U-S-K-A on Twitter and Pacing Joska dot B-S-K-Y dot social. And that is, that is all of that. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Bye. Peace. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of The End Times Continue. For links and other information, come see us at TETC.show. Yeah.